0: Climb a tree, and it, then talk, or sit silently and listen to our thoughts with Hello and welcome to the show but wait, you say that's not the usual song I hear when I refresh my feed from the history Chicks And you would be right, dear listener, you would be right. It's not the usual song, because this is not our usual project. So if you found us by searching for Anne with an
1: E, welcome. Let's introduce ourselves. I'm Beckett Graham. And I am Susan Vollenweiter. Normally our show is about historical women. As we
0: just covered the author of Anne of Green Gables, L.M. Montgomery, we thought it was a natural fit to go ahead and cover the new Netflix series Anne with an E that is going to appear in your Netflix today. So what's this
1: show about, Anne with an E? Well, I'll tell you. According to the official Netflix description, Anne with an E is a coming-of-age story about an outsider who, against all odds and many challenges, fights for love and acceptance and her place in the world. Set in Prince Edward Island in the late 1890s, the series centers on Anne Shirley, a young orphaned girl who, after an abusive childhood spent in orphanages and the homes of strangers, is mistakenly sent to live with an aging brother and sister.
0: If this sounds familiar, it really should,
1: because Anne with an E, 2017, is simply a retelling of the classic Anne of Green Gables, first published in 1908. And you might have already seen the 1985 miniseries version starring Megan Follows, which is like the gold standard of Anne of Green Gables shows. Uh, This one's going to be a little bit different. So I would suggest you put that away. You don't compare it too much to it because the take is entirely different. Do you agree?
0: (laughs) I actually wrote in my notes, I wonder how the purists are
1: going to feel about this. (laughs) Well, like the purists who wrote to us and stopped listening because we liked one specific version of Pride and Prejudice over another. (laughs) I can't believe they did this. (laughs) Well, okay.
0: So I guess truth in advertising. I like this version better than the 1985, not that I'm disdaining the 1980s version. It is very sweet, and I can 100% see how it gets in your heart. Oh, do I ever. I'm the one that likes Little House on the Prairie, and it's not holding up to modern standards of cinematography, and that's okay. <laughs> it's in my heart. It's part of me. The way that the Megan Follows version of Anne of Green Gables is in your heart, and that's fine. This is an additional version,
1: and I think it's good. Good doesn't even begin to cover it. Within the first 10 minutes of watching this, I got so excited, just... It just, for me, even though I did fall in love with the 1985 version and I have read the books, the actress who plays Anne, Amy Beth McNulty, just nails her. You know, she's just, she's her to me.
0: And there is an explanation as to why this particular version is so dark.
1: Yes, there's a great explanation. It was uh, created and fully written by Moira Wally Beckett, who is a multi Emmy Award winning writer previously from Breaking Bad. So, <laughs> Breaking Bad meets Anne of Green Gables. Wow. It's gritty, but it's not saccharine, but it's still so charming. We're
0: going to cover episode one
1: which is longer than all
0: the other episodes. Do not be afraid. They're not all going to be this long. This is about double the length of um, all the others. This episode was directed by Nikki Caro, who you may know from having directed Whale Rider. And if you haven't seen the Whale Rider, it is
1: delightful. And uh, Whale Rider is on Netflix now. So if you want to see that, too, after you binge through Anne, or maybe you want to, like, watch it episode by episode. I, I, I don't know anybody that actually does that, you know, and slowly paces themselves. Like
0: the olden days when we had to wait a week. I
1: know. <laughs> actually, on Hulu, you have to wait a week. They drop a show and then you have to wait a full week for the next episode. Those hipsters. I know. And you pay $8 is a minimum for this privilege and you get commercials. I I got some issues with Hulu, but I digress.
0: (laughs) Well, let's get right into the recap. We're going to go scene by scene and give our comments as we go. So without further ado, let's just get into the episode recap. We are going to start with the cold open. There is an aerial shot of a traveling man. He's on a horse and he's traveling with some determination. There's green land, there's ocean waves intense string and drum music, and he sees the train, and he has a very weird look on his face. We don't know who this guy
1: is. We don't know anything except that it is an absolutely breathtaking series of shots. The exterior scenes, like this one, were filmed on Prince Edward Island, although most of the show was filmed in Ontario in two different places. But this scene just puts you on Prince Edward Island. It is stunning. It is stunning. Um, The credit sequence opens. It's the first time we're going to see this. The whole thing is so stylized. It's very dreamy looking with kind of an edge to it. The word Anne is carved into a branch and there's a bunch of different quotes, just like slow vignettes that kind of appear on the screen. Two of the quotes carved in the branch are, my life
0: is a perfect graveyard of buried hopes. And also true friends are
1: always together in spirits. And then they show Anne, the character, and there's one part where there's two of them like staring at each other, like a mirror image. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, that's talking into the cabinet, you know? Oh, yeah, that's
0: Katie Maurice.
1: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But I love this opening. I actually watched it several times.
0: (laughs) So the next scene is now, if we've read the books, we know who this is. So I'll just tell you it's Matthew and Marilla talking. And this is really a necessary exposition scene about getting an orphan, a boy, and why, ostensibly, to help Matthew with the farm work. You really have to have this scene, especially if you haven't read the books, if you're coming to this cold, you'll have, if they don't talk about what the deal is, you're not going to know. So Marilla in this scene seems to put all the blame for this decision on Matthew. (laughs)
1: It really completely establishes Marilla as the mouthpiece of the two of them, even though I couldn't help but notice Matthew is sitting at the head of the table.
0: He's the man of the house. Technically, this is his house. She's living in his house.
1: Right, right. And you know what this actually sort of reminded me of? They did like a close up with light coming through the glass of water being poured into the glasses and Marilla setting the table for their their meal. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Downton Abbey. You know how they always showed the servants pouring, getting the table all set and measuring everything out at the beginning. Oh, how she was so
0: nervous that she kept kind of redoing where everything was and lining it up and.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: So do imagine this house where for, I don't know, 40 years, maybe where Marilla talks and Matthew is silent. Like Matthew is Wilson from Castaway and Marilla just has something to talk to. And I was struck by this from this early, knowing the rest of the story. Matthew sure is used to being talked at, isn't he? Yes, he totally is. But when Marilla tells him to wash his hands, it's kind of clear about who's the boss. At least, who's the daily boss? Obviously, this man's going to pick his battles later. But as of right now, he allows her to handpack him to a degree that, eh, you know, it's comforting, I guess, to know what you're supposed to do.
1: I couldn't help but think that maybe some of the 1985 version people will be going, wait, that doesn't look anything like the inside of the house, you know, of Green Gables. That's not how it looks. It's supposed to be Victorian and frilly. And this is more, more authentic. It's more austere and very few frills. There's very few pretty things around the house. And I think that's more indicative of the period than the 85 version, don't you?
0: Yeah. And I think we'll see some interiors later in the series that are a little bit more overdressed Overdone, but but the Cuthbert's aren't those people.
1: No, not at all. Although I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but Anne's room has lace curtains. I think they, those may have been the only ones I saw in the entire house.
0: And I wonder if that's when ladies got engaged, they made a bunch of things and put in their chest. And I wonder if that's her mother's.
1: Oh, excellent.
0: From the Trousseau or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So you don't want to, you know, you don't want to waste them. Then again, if it doesn't fit your style, you'd put them in the upstairs gable room, you know, where nobody's going to see them.
1: Yeah. Or you'd have guest day and you want to make the guest room maybe a little bit posher. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So next we're going to see Marilla opening the gate. We're outside now and Matthew drives the horse and the um, carriage. It's an open, what do you call that? I'm sorry. I just had a mind blank.
0: I actually just think it's a wagon. I don't think it's any certain kind of carriage. Yeah. It's,
1: just a it's not thing. like fancy. It's just, yeah, utilitarian open air carriage. And Matthew travels through and travels down the road. And he passes another house. And there's a lady sitting in the window. And she's just staring outside. And she sees Matthew coming. You know, it's like, oh, what's going on? What's going on? So I thought she was knitting. You know, when I first saw this, I'm like, okay, Mrs.
0: is knitting. And then Upon second watch, I said, well, maybe not. She looks like she's sewing. What's the deal? So in the original text, it said that Mrs. Lynde was known for making cotton warp quilts. So I looked it up. What's a cotton warp quilt? Well, evidently, it is knitted. So I could have been right, you know, subconsciously. It is okay. knitted. But ladies liked to knit these because you knit them in small squares, i.e. portable. So when you're going to visit your friend, you can take your square and you don't have to drag this whole, you know, behemoth thing. So you knit the little squares and then you sew them together. So I think it is a knitted thing, but she was in the process of sewing
1: the squares together. Oh, see, I saw knitting, so that shows you how how much I was watching. Mm-hmm. I was too busy going, "Oh, there's a pretty, you know, brick Victorian house. That's really nice." And then, "Oh, there's a lady sitting in the window." Yeah, cool. So, Missus um, Lynde,
0: I wrote down, is the next door app of the 1890s. <laughs> oh yeah, she I totally. mean, come on, nothing gets by her. I mean, we are actually in epic revolt against the next door app at our on our block because it's like really nosy neighbors it's
1: fine i don't know why they didn't call the app gladys kravitz you know from bewitched <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> what is going on in her mind okay she's trying to figure it out well he
0: has his fancy clothes on so he hasn't run out of seed he's not going to the store and it's just the wagon and it doesn't look particularly clean and he's driving slow so he's not going for the doctor ah and it's like making her insane. And Marilla in the previous scene had predicted that Mrs. Lynde would be right over.
1: <laughs> Marilla knows her neighbors very well. She definitely doesn't need the next door app.
0: <laughs> Here we go. The next scene, scenery, scenery, nice scenery,
1: railroad montage.
0: And then we fade cleverly. I think through the window, we catch little glimpses of a face, of a face, of a face. And the focus moves to where you see, Hey, it's Anne. Or a girl with red hair that we can pretty much be assured is Anne at this point.
1: Yeah. I think so. If you don't know it's Anne, um, I don't know what you thought you were watching.
0: The thing that struck me, really the only thing I have written down for this scene is that her wistful look was quite well done.
1: Yes, so we go from that you know, dreamy, wistful, looking at the window scene to a baby crying. And this is our first flashback scene. There's several of them throughout this, and this is where the gritty comes in, and this is where parents really need to watch this before they let their kids watch it, I think, yeah. But uh, there's a woman and she's slapping Anne and she's yelling at her that Anne is clearly being overworked. She's clearly being abused. The woman's yelling, you're more trouble than you're worth. She called her a piece of trash.
0: I know. I do not even get this. So evidently from the book, her parents, when they died, the cleaning lady, their cleaning lady, took Anne in and then gave her... To someone when her husband died to be a little tiny servant at about the age of four or five. And then she was passed to another family when that household broke up. I, no one is monitoring where she is, who's got a hold of her, how she's doing, what her welfare's like. There is no one. Uh-uh. Um, I have to say, during this scene, I was glad to see that at least the little boy feels for her. The little five year old boy seems to be the only one upset by this treatment. Everyone else is like vapid, like, oh, well, that's what happens around here. And I have to tell you, probably everyone has bruises, even the lady of the house. Yeah. (laughs) It is not good. And purists will say these flashbacks are not necessary, but, you know, they skate over all this in the books.
1: Yeah, I don't know that 1908 audiences a were ready to hear the realities of orphans at the time or b if it was widely known how they were treated because like you said there was no DCFS or whatever to you know check in on them. They were just earning their keep from a very very early age. Horrible life. So I'm so glad they went off book. That just brings like so much realism to the story.
0: And people will say it's not in there, but if you go back there are references to this treatment. So it's in the original copy, purists. It really is. It really is in there. Um, Okay, so present day now. We've come back from the flashback to see Anne hyperventilating in the train car with Mrs. Spencer, who has accompanied her from the orphanage, who honestly does seem nice, but I think she's had it with Anne talking, really, and they have a conversation. (laughs) You can see Mrs. Spencer. You can see her praying, like, don't start, don't start, don't start it up again, please.
1: (laughs) I know. Um, And she quotes Jane Eyre and she's like, I just love Jane Eyre, don't you? And Mrs. Spencer says, I don't know. I've never met her Which actually kind of struck me because remember on the Lucy Maud Montgomery episode, we talked about the literacy rate of Prince Edward Island at the time. It was extreme. What was it? 90 percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why wouldn't Mrs. Spencer have even, you know, had a passing knowledge of who Jane Eyre was? I thought. No,
0: here's but. the thing, though. Literacy doesn't mean reading the classics. Literacy means you can conduct
1: your daily business. Oh, oh, excellent point. Yeah. Like, okay. i.e.
0: you can read the Bible, I think, would be the <laughs> benchmark. Yeah. <laughs> of literacy. Um, and here's the thing. I want to actually say the quote from Jane Eyre because what's not said is interesting too, to me. Okay. This is the quote from Jane Eyre. If all the world hated you and believed you wicked while your own conscience approved you and absolved you from guilt, you would not be without friends. So that's something that Jane Eyre's little friend says when they were enduring the pain and abuse at Lowood School. So there's Definitely, um, that's the reason that Anne would take that so to heart, because she was in the same situation as those two little girls being mistreated Mm -hmm. by unfeeling adults. But what they don't say is the second part, what Jane answers back. I cannot bear to be solitary and hated. To gain some real affection, I would willingly submit to have the bone of my arm broken, or to let a bull toss me, or to stand behind a kicking horse and let it dash its hoof at my chest. So that's oh. what little Jane Eyre says back to the person who told her don't worry your conscience is should be enough of a friend for you. So there's both sides of that kind of implied in that quote I think.
1: Yeah. Oh, that was, I'm glad you went and looked that up. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And she's just spending so much time, you know, inquiring about the Cuthbert. She's just asking question after question. You know, she wants to know where she's going. And <laughs> Mrs. Spencer is just like, oh, why didn't I stay asleep? You know, <laughs> is this train ride over? Um so next we're going to see Anne is waiting at the train station. She's sitting on a bench. She's all alone. What is it, the iconic picture from almost every cover of a book of Anne G- of Green Gables, you know, just sitting there with her carpet bag in her lap. And it's a beautiful still life. I mean, they have her framed by the pillars of the train station. It looks like a still life. This show did a lot of those things. It captures that moment and it holds your eye as if it were a photograph and not a video.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: That was the first time that that happened, I think, for this show.
0: And this is Echoes of Lucy Maud Montgomery. If you've heard our episode on the author of Anne of Green Gables, um, which posted last week, she waited at the train station when she came back from school, waited and waited, and no one ever came. Mm -hmm. So that must have stuck in her mind to make this such an iconic piece in this story. Then
1: Anne kind of glances off to the one lone blooming tree in the area. And I, I have to say, this is a criticism because, you know, she's thinking about sleeping in the tree. She'll talk about it later, but that tree's not made for sleeping. It's a little too small. So I thought, <laughs> I was like, oh man, yeah, it's beautiful. It stands out because it's just this white cherry tree against all this. You know, evergreens behind it, so it really stands out, and it does look very dreamy. But now, it's not. Do you
0: not, not a... know Anne by now? She's not the most <laughs> practical of people.
1: I know. If she can that's imagine good. that
0: it's comfortable. It's going to be comfortable,
1: <laughs> even if it snaps, because that's what's going to happen.
0: <laughs> so Matthew arrives and passes right by Anne because he's not looking for a little girl. He's there for his boy. And uh, then Matthew and the station master have a conversation in which Matthew realizes, oh no, there's been a mistake. And I will tell you, here's a little secret knowledge. The actors that play Matthew and the station master were both in a long running show in Canada called The Road to Avonlea, which was a spinoff of Anne of Green Gables. It ran for seven years. So there's a nice little Easter egg for you if you're a
1: fan It's another one of those shows that got in people's heart. It was a very high rated show. I liked it when he first arrived. There's two women coming out of the train station and they give him kind of a flirty good afternoon look. And he just looks like awkward, you know, he's like, looks down at the ground and just kind of mumbles at them, which is another indication of his personality. It's like, oh, no, don't let the girls talk to me. (laughs) Poor little
0: thing. He's so shy.
1: You know what else I noticed in in the train station is a nod to realism. There was, the glass is like old glass. You know how old glass um, isn't completely smooth like modern glasses? It was kind of bumpy. There was old glass everywhere. So the images that are shot through it are kind of bendy, which is exactly how it would have been.
0: Oh, dear listeners, Susan <laughs> asks me, who lives in the house of wood, if I'm familiar <laughs> with wavy glass? <laughs> Why, yes, I am. Why,
1: yes, yes, I am. Yes, you are. Yeah, my bedroom window in the house I grew up in, it was well over 100 years old, and I had bendy glass. And it was, it had like frost on the inside in the morning in the wintertime.
0: Might I add, (laughs) a no transparent piece of glass in this house. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So the station master is completely oblivious to Matthew's distress. He is a cheerful dude that wants his lunch, Matthew appears, that's all he's waiting for, I'm out good luck to you. I haven't got any more orphans concealed hereabouts, he says jokingly as he pats him on the arm and leaves. Not my responsibility. I'm not, not my circus, not my monkeys. That's
1: right. (laughs) So Matthew's like, all right, I guess I'm going to go introduce myself. And he doesn't actually have to because Anne does the talking (laughs) for him. She's like, oh, you must be Matthew Cuthbert. Again, here's a woman that's talking to Matthew Cuthbert. I do want to say something about her carpet bag, because I watched several adaptations in the research for Lucy Maud Montgomery. In several adaptations, the suitcase that Anne is holding is not actually a carpet bag. It's a square suitcase. But in the book, it's a carpet bag. And in this show, it is a perfect carpet bag with a perfectly broken handle. Wally Beckett, who wrote this, is Canadian. And so she grew up with Anne of Green Gables. So she was intimately familiar with the story. So she was able to pull little details like this out of it, which really will help the purists get through it, I think.
0: I reserve that level of prop admiration for this show. And then also in The Hunger Games, somebody read The Hunger Games to the point where the first time we see Peter Mullark's feet, his shoes are double knotted, my friends. So <laughs> I admire prop people who have read the material.
1: <laughs> and directors who
0: allow them to be firm yeah so hooray for all of you yeah
1: <laughs> so uh matthew decides he's gonna kick the can down the road and he meets Anne, and they walk back to his wagon and she's just chattering the whole time
0: this is the part oh this is the part that here's what she says i'm ecstatic I've never belonged to anyone before. Have you always wanted a daughter? And she's like twisting the knife in his poor little soul. She names the horse Belle, which is (laughs) bewildering to him, but somehow entertaining and attractive. And and she says, I'll be obedient, but I'm going to liven up the place. You know, she has a whole strategy that she has imagined on the train about how she's going to make this a success.
1: Oh, you know, how does she describe them? Two hardworking, older people who haven't had the joy of a child in the house. I'm paraphrasing. I didn't write it down. But, you know, she's just really got not only her job description written out, but she thinks she knows exactly the kind of house that she's moving into as a, quote, daughter.
0: So the drive, let's call it the drive, part one, (laughs) where Anne baffles him further. I have to say, talking, talking, talking. And it's the beginning of Matthew's changing Or is it changing back? I don't know. To an affectionate man. Like she'll say things like, that cherry tree is my first friend here. And doesn't she remind you of a bride? And if you have big ideas, you have to use big words to express them. And finally she realizes, oh, wait. Oh, wait. She said, am I talking too much? Because I really can stop if people tell me to. But I've been told to stop so often that I'm so relieved. And he's like, I don't mind it. Like it's probably relaxing, probably status (laughs) quo for him to be listening to someone talking to him.
1: I love the first shot in that scene because it's Anne's hand and she's kind of like riding the waves of the wind like a kid would do out of a kid. I do it. You know, when you stick your hand out the car window and you kind of ride the wave of the wind, she's doing that. She's doing it outside of the wagon as she's going along. And it's interesting because Cars wouldn't arrive for another 10 or so years on Prince Edward Island. And then they are banned. The year that Anne of Green Gables comes out, they ban cars from the island. Because
0: they're wrecking up the scenery and wrecking up the soundscape.
1: Yeah, it's just like really, really wealthy people have cars. We don't need to cater to them. This This is our land. And so they banned cars from 1908 until 1913. And even then, they only allowed them to be driven on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Part of her chatter is that she says, a daughter is a little girl that grows up to be a friend. She says she read that somewhere. So it's just establishing her as, you know, the reader that she is. Again, you know, as, as if Jane Eyre didn't do that.
0: <laughs> and this whole time, and it comes up again, and I will refer to it again, this whole time I've been wondering, where are these books?
1: Mm-hmm. they weren't
0: at Mrs. Hammond's house, I'll guarantee you they would have used them as toilet paper. So they weren't at the cleaning ladies who I do believe was illiterate, but kind back, you know, when she was a small child. So there's not too many places left anne has been. So I'm guessing the asylum must have yeah. some kind of library.
1: Um, and she does state later that she went to school only for a short period of time when she was in the um, orphan asylum. But I, you know what? Part of me wonders if she stole books because she's just so drawn to them, like Lucy Maud Montgomery can't remember a time when she didn't read, because she taught herself at such an early age, that I think that's kind of what Anne did, too. I mean, really, a kid who's only been to school for a short period of time can read Jane Eyre?
0: Well, I know. And I still can't figure out where the book even was to be taken. So I guess that's Mm -hmm. just an up in the air thing. We'll never know. But
1: Oh, yeah. One of the mysteries. Uh, We next cut back to Green Gables and Mrs. Lind, as expected, arrives to find out what the heck is going on with Matthew leaving in the cart. But she's like all, uh, you know, she's playing around and asking these questions like, oh, it was so interesting to see Matthew driving down the cart this morning. And Marilla is not playing at all. She knows her friends so well that she had the tea water ready before she (laughs) arrives
0: conversely i must insist that marilla in fact is playing marilla is full-on messing with mrs Lynde the whole time oh really i'm not feeling very sick she is totally she's not smiling so we're not getting it necessarily but she is winding mrs Lynde up on purpose (laughs) so we go back to what i like to call the drive part two so full of scenery that's the main objective of the drive number two and they have the famous red hair conversation where she said she can't be perfectly happy because she has well what would you call this she says and holds out her hair and he's completely like ah it's red isn't it like wait maybe i don't know what's what am i (laughs)
1: supposed to say Um,
0: poor little bewildered dude
1: she's talking about her red hair but we also see that this Dirt is red, and the dirt of Prince Edward Island is red. Uh, The island was formed on um, red sandstone bedrocks that are high in iron. For for... What's it called? Geography? Geology. (laughs) For you geology people, um, that's how Prince Edward Island is formed. But as we said earlier, this show was filmed in Ontario, which doesn't have red dirt roads. So they crushed up bricks to make that red dirt and mixed it with sand and kept placing it down wherever you know the shot was going to be to create that authentic red prince edward island road well i'm assuming that they had lived through the harry potter debacle
0: where harry potter does not freaking have green eyes in the movie which cannot be born (laughs) that was like a main key fact of his whole entire life That (laughs) Harry Potter had green eyes just like his mother, and they didn't even bother to attempt it. Oh. So I am proud of them for crushing up the bricks. And I am cracking up about the red dirt because Oklahoma is the same way, although maybe not for the same reason. They do have iron in the soil, but I'm not sure there's sandstone involved. But if you ever visit a construction site in Oklahoma, it Mm -hmm. looks like the earth is bleeding. It is disturbing. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> but in this case it's the same color as Anne's hair
0: mm. so it's which to that she lives uh, here
1: that's what I thought exactly the main thing that you see
0: in this little snippet is that Anne has been pinching her arm the whole day she mm-hmm. later explains that it's because she doesn't believe that it's real and so she's been pinching herself all day and you see her doing it during this scene and you see her arms covered
1: in bruises yeah and she doesn't mind it, which tells you that, you know, the pain, the physical pain that has been inflicted on her over the years. As they're still driving, we go back to Green Gables, where Mrs. Lynde is just freaking out when she finds out what's going on, that they're going to adopt this boy. She is just in a tizzy. Why are you going to do that? She starts coming up with all these crazy things that she says she, quote, heard, which I guess What, is she like the National Enquirer of Avonlea? You know, she heard all these horror stories about London street Arabs or French ruffians. Marilla is actually standing firm and she admits here, here's some foreshadowing. She says Matthew's heart isn't doing well. And this little boy that they're going to adopt is coming to help Matthew. Mrs.
0: Lynde is all full of doom and gloom. Orphans um, evidently set fires. Orphans poison the well. And those incidents in the book were all taken from actual P.E.I. and Nova Scotia newspapers, by the way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Out of the thin blue sky. My favorite thing. Finally, she says, that's what? Because that's what Mrs. Lynde is known for. She'll say a thing and she'll say, that's what? At the end. And I was very happy to hear it. I smiled really big.
1: (laughs) That's what? And again, casting of Mrs. Lynde is pretty good.
0: So let's go on to The Drive, part three. Where Anne names the White Way of Delight and the Lake of Shining Waters. And Anne starts to get Matthew to talk to her. And um, my favorite from this little scenario is she says this meaning the white way of delight, is the first thing I've ever seen that cannot possibly be improved by imagination. That is saying something. And she finally engages old Matthew in conversation. Do things ever give you a thrill? And he looks at her with so much interest right after that. Like he wants to participate and he doesn't know what he's going to say and he digs down deep and he tells her, well, I get a thrill when I turn up them ugly white grubs in the cucumber patch. (laughs) <laughs> and that's an okay first try. I would say, uh, me, Beckett, would say that he did a good job for the first time out.
1: Yeah, I can, you know what? As a gardener, I can understand that thrill because then you get to chop their heads off. Oh. It's, it's very satisfying. Sometimes if I have gardening gloves on, I will push down on my thumb and just squirt them out.
0: You got, oh, this. Uh, I feel sick. <laughs> I feel sick, literally like,
1: gross. have you ever had your lawn eaten by grubs because I have I had to rip up my dead lawn it took so much effort that I whacked my pelvis out of alignment and I was in therapy for several months (laughs) trying to get it fixed
0: Well, okay, so yes I went out and put in a vegetable garden and I had to cut some sod and when (laughs) I was rolling it up two times just two times I saw these white things and I just um, threw the whole thing of sod onto the trailer like au revoir of have whatever you are, larvae. I don't know what you are. And I, f- I fully think they were probably locust larvae because they were big and juicy-like. And I know they uh, sat under there for 17 years, but it, they were awful big. And so I don't know what they were, but they're gone now.
1: <laughs> and wherever you took your sod, they're living to the, and multiplying.
0: No, I don't care.
1: <laughs> it's not in your yard. <laughs> that is an
0: S-E-P. That means it's somebody else's problem.
1: Nice. Um, I have to admit to you, Beckett, I don't understand. I don't remember how she got to the horrible beating flashback. What was it that's...
0: What she was saying is that she was often told that she was a nuisance and not to talk so much. And she said it sure seems to make some people angry when they have so many children. And that was like a little window into her
1: past life, I think. Oh, I see. And so that's when she has a flashback to... A horrible beating by her drunk employer, uh, Mr. Hammond, I believe. And he is just whipping her. She's outside, you know, she's leaning over a tree stump. And he's just whipping her and whipping her. And then suddenly he stops, grabs his heart, and has a heart attack right there. Instant karma.
0: How shall I put this? I found myself wondering about darker things and glad she was so young. I'm not going to go into any more detail than that. I'm glad he's dead. I think everybody's glad he's dead, but there's no one to help her anywhere, Anne. You know what I mean? This is her life. Mm -hmm. No child services is ever coming to save her. Her parents are dead. Everyone around her thinks she's a piece of trash. What are you gonna do? Oh my gosh.
1: And this Matthew could very well be the first person who's ever treated her and talked to her nicely, like the human being that she is. And Matthew might actually be the first person who has ever talked to her like a human being and not like, like you just said, a piece of trash.
0: No wonder she's attached to him, if that's the case.
1: Oh, yeah. Already. Already. It's like. (laughs) Okay, this is very interesting. This just occurred to me. Kind of like, you know, when baby geese are born, they imprint on whoever they see and they follow them around like a parent. Yeah. which is kind of ironic because right then it's kind of her coping strategy and has these terrible moments of, I'm just going to call it post-traumatic stress moments. Right. And she copes by finding kind of a sweet story to talk about and using her imagination. So at that point, she talks about how geese mate for life and they're a romantical
0: species of bird. And I think it's cute that the word romantic embarrasses him. I would know about that. <laughs>
1: No, those two ladies that were kind of flirting with her at the train station. Oh, no, no, no.
0: So one thing she says is um, when he said we're about a mile from home and she said home. What a wonderful word. So they get to Green Gables at last and we pause in one of those photographic moments that you were talking about earlier. We pause. Because Green Gables is another character. And it's a moment to let the audience, like, we're really here. The iconic pictures that you have. So there's Green Gables at last. I mean, the first thing she says when Anne sees it, she says, Green Gables is real. And we're home. And she takes Matthew's arm as they drive through. And what's the first thing Marilla says? Does she say, I'm glad
1: you're home. So nice to meet you. No, she says, Matthew Cuthbert. Who's that? (laughs) <laughs> and in, in that instant, Anne goes from being the human being that she was riding with Matthew to an object again. Right then. Boom. Like that.
0: Her little face oh. makes my heart hurt so bad.
1: I know. that Amy Beth McNulty is so good in this role. Uh,
0: so implied, but I don't think actually said. Because I wrote this down and then I went back and I don't think she said it. But implied is the old, you don't want me because I'm not a boy. And as we discussed, that applies to both Anne of Green Gables and L. M. Montgomery herself, the author. This yeah. again, you know, Matthew gave her no hint this was coming, and I really blame him for that. I'm sorry to say he did a bad thing. I don't think it fit his personality to go ahead and and have that conflict, but he did a bad thing. <laughs> I
1: think. He- no, he he did a very, very bad thing. It, you know, and Anne did say, you don't want me. And then her, her knees go weak and she drops to her knees and she kind of goes into one of these fugue states, I guess. You know, her eyes just get glassy. It's You know, it's a total panic attack. People's voices are kind of garbled and all she can really hear is her heart beating. You know, Marilla can't understand why this girl is being so dramatic. And Matthew's like, she's traveled a long way to be disappointed. She did. No, she came from Nova Scotia. That was a, I tried to find it how long it would take by train and there's no train service now. So I couldn't, but it's 15 hours on a bike. <laughs> It is be infinity
0: on a bike as far as I'm concerned.
1: Avonlea slash Cavendish, the real Cavendish, the fake Avonlea, is on the far northern side of Prince Edward Island, like right in the smack in the middle of it. So she, Nova Scotia's is down to the south of there. So that's a, that's a haul.
0: So I would just like to say that at this point, she could have been Cordelia if she had just held out a little bit or worded her sentence differently because... Marilla would accept whatever name she said, as long as she said it with authority. If she had just said, you know, what's your name, little girl? And she would just say Cordelia, the end. She would have been Cordelia. She messed up there. But I have to say that Marilla, so good right here. She doesn't know how to talk to little kids, by the way. She has no idea. And why would she? Yeah, but she did respect when Anne says, can you please, when you say it, spell it with an E? And Marilla says, very well, Anne with an E. And then invites her in the house. So she doesn't even smile at it. Doesn't think it's weird. I mean, she might think it's weird. But she keeps that all inside. But she respects Anne's wishes.
1: Anne with any. Can I take this moment to give mad props to Geraldine James, the actress who plays Marilla? And again, to the casting of this show. Because I'm I'm sorry to say because Colleen Dewhurst was the gold standard for me as Marilla's. But um, Geraldine James, is physically she's amazing. And then as an actress, she really... She plays cold very well. I don't and I you, know that it's cold though.
0: It's just, you know, she's lived with this one brother who never talks for 40 years. And I just think her social skills might be rusty.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, so this is a dysfunctional social skills house because Matthew doesn't really know how to talk. (laughs) to people and she's just yeah okay i'll buy that sure
0: well and as we find out later marilla was a lively young girl and circumstances forced her into a box that she felt that it was her duty to be in so i guess if you if you know all that backstory now and so there might be little parts of Anne that she starts seeing or remembering what it felt like and i just think if you watch over the next couple of episodes you'll see those little parts of marilla start to awaken And I think that's the key of Anne. Anne changes people she comes in contact with. Mm -hmm.
1: So they're going into the house. They go inside Green Gables. And Anne sees really what could have been. You know, it's just the life that she could have had. And she's just crushed. And while she's experiencing all this pain about she had this life planned out, it's not going to happen. And she knows it. Marilla is just gabbling on about how they told Mrs. Spencer that they wanted a boy. And Anne's like, no, Mrs. Spencer said a girl about my age. And you know, Marilla is just holding firm. We wanted a boy. Um, I read an interview with the writer and she said that she wanted Anne to be an accidental feminist. And this, I think, is the first spark of it because she and it's going on like, Aunt's trying to save her job, you know, save her place in this family. And she's saying, girls can do everything that boys can do. I can do anything. You put me through my paces. I will do it. I can do anything a boy can do. Can they
0: in Victorian Canada? I don't think so. We just talked about this.
1: (laughs) How much societal pressure there was for girls not
0: to do anything that boys do. In fact, and even Marilla says that in the scene. She says, you know very well that's not how it works
1: hmm Yeah.
0: Anne and Marilla have these, what I'm calling eye battles all the time, that mm-hmm. delight me to my core. So she looks over at Marilla and says, do you consider yourself to be delicate and incapable? Because I don't. And Marilla looked back at her like, no, I don't. But she didn't say anything. They just had a little eye battle. <laughs> Um, also, this is the time where Marilla sees the bruises on her arm.
1: Good gracious, child. What happened here? And I couldn't help but think, geez, Marilla, if you're freaking out about these few bruises, what would you think if you knew exactly what this child had been through? You know? And I think
0: she gets an inkling later when we get to old Mrs. Blewett's house. And I think she's going to extrapolate the proper thing later, so. So, then we move on to dinner. To dinner where Anne can't
1: eat. She, I don't know, is that a giant parsnip or what on the plate? Oh, yeah, I actually, I went back and I paused it. There was a piece of bread. There was some, I think it was boiled pork, maybe um, a parsnip and a few green beans. That was dinner, which I, you know, it's, it's period accurate.
0: Well, you can always go back for seconds, but I just like, I've never had, have you had a parsnip? I've never had a parsnip.
1: Oh my gosh. Yes. My mom used to slip them into things because they don't look, they look like maybe they're white-ish. So like maybe that's a potato and you pop it in your mouth and it's so not a potato. <laughs>
0: Is it like a radish
1: or like a no, potato? No, it's a, it's a root vegetable. It's um, it's shaped more like a really fat carrot and it's white. So well, I
0: felt pretty proud of myself for even summoning the word parsnip out of the back of my mind. I'm like, oh, that must be what that is. Well, so she talks about being in the depths of despair and also asked if Marilla had ever imagined herself in the depths of despair. And I just love Marilla's like, no, I have not. Yeah. so yeah she explained how when you try to eat and you're sad you get a lump in your throat that won't go down except for chocolate caramels and that's book accurate
1: too so i love to <laughs> like,
0: slip that in um, and she says she had a
1: chocolate caramel once only once but she remembered it because it was such a experience but only once in her 13 have we said that yet that she's 13
0: Yeah, they've moved her from 11 to 13 in this show, and I am not entirely sure why, unless it was, um, number one, to move along the growth, you know, for the second season, because I'm assuming they're going to use the same actress. Um, Mm -hmm. Or number two, just maybe the choice of casting, you know, when you cast Judy Garland, (laughs) as a little girl, you have some wardrobe problems.
1: Yeah. uh, And
0: maybe they didn't want to face all that um, situation, so they just made her older.
1: Yeah, Amy Beth McNulty was 15 when this was filmed. So that's like right on the cusp of her body changing. So you might be right. And you know what? Her hair is dyed red and she's naturally like a dark blonde and that's dyed red hair. And I thought they did a great job because it looks very authentic red because you can get red wrong. I think very they authentic some red.
0: experts. They got a big old production budget. I see it. That's right.
1: Okay, so since Anne can't eat her supper, it's time to go to bed. They're just going to go upstairs. So they grab the candle and they walk up the stairs to get to her bedroom. Well, the bedroom that she's going to have for the night. <laughs> Electricity doesn't come to Prince Edward Island until the 1950s. I The full island being electric, 1950s. So there's going to be candles in Prince Edward Island for a very, very long time. Candles and oil lamps. But this time it's a candle and they walk upstairs to the room and, and she sees the bed. So in the
0: book, they were going to put the boy in a room off the kitchen. But Marilla did not think that seemed right to put a girl there. I don't know why. Isn't that funny? So girls can't live off the kitchen unless they're servants, I guess. And so she puts... And upstairs in the gable room, and she's such a good housekeeper that it's always clean. Um, mm-hmm. So there it is. It's ready. Gosh, I should. I should, in fact, have that philosophy, like, always be ready for company. <laughs> and it's very sad. So um, here's what I wrote. I literally wrote down, poor little girl, poor little girl. I don't know what else to say. And she is wished goodnight and says, how Can you wish me good night when you know very well that this is the worst night I have ever had? What can you say? What can you say to it?
1: Marilla can say nothing. No, she can't. And, you know, it doesn't take Anne long to, you know, she's just crying. She cries her sobs. She's sobbing herself to sleep in that room.
0: So we're downstairs again and Matthew is smoking and he is wanting to keep Anne. It is very apparent that he has things on his mind. And Marilla and Matthew argue a little bit. His mind is burdened. I mean, he probably doesn't put his foot down too much, I have to say. He wants to put his foot down here, but he knows to tread softly. And he says things like, She's a real interesting kind of person. And Marilla's like, there's something I don't understand about her, but not in a mean way. Marilla doesn't say it meanly. She says it like it's I can't right now. (laughs) It's kind of how she says it. (laughs) And Marilla knows Matthew. Just as well as Matthew knows her, and she has tears in her eyes when she is looking into the fire. I don't know if we've noticed, but she has feelings. She has feelings. She feels sorry for this little girl. But practically speaking, it's going to be on her if the girl comes to live in the house, right?
1: Yeah. So the next thing we see, it's morning. The farm is coming to life. There's roosters crowing, and where is Anne? She's talking to the cherry tree outside of her window. Marilla comes in and she's like, what are you doing? And she's play acting. Again, here's Princess Cordelia.
0: (laughs) Yes, dearest Snow Queen. I
1: know. And it was a little more, quote, scope for imagination that the tree was providing her. She names the tree. She
0: names everything. And so I have to say, here's another little photographic moment. Not a happy one. She thought, you know, well, I was dreaming. I was dreaming that today would be different and that you'd want to keep me. And Marilla's like, nope, and heads downstairs. And Anne's face, Anne's little disappointed face, they freeze on it for a minute. And I have never seen the like of a heart-wrenching look. And nobody sees it. Marilla didn't see it. Mm -mm. Matthew didn't need to see it. I think he feels it. And it's hard. So now we see Anne. She's dressed. She's got her little bag. She's looking wistfully at all the things, um, including... A picture of three siblings. More on that in the future. What are you doing? Marilla Accuses her of stealing. I was only memorizing, said Anne. Um, Marilla burns up the cherry blossom flowers. She did not need to burn those up. Mm -mm. I don't
1: understand it,
0: but it's harsh, man. She
1: opened the stove and she shoved those cherry blossoms right in there. (laughs) That's the sound of fire. (laughs) But somehow... We're at breakfast now and Anne is cheerful and Matthew is upset and Marilla is actually a little bit amused because Anne is cheerfully trying to sell herself. And again, here's some more accidental feminism that she can do anything that a boy can do.
0: Anne meets them with a, well, the world doesn't seem such a howling wilderness as it did last night. And that's from the Bible. So let's add the book, the Bible, to books that Anne has read. And that's actually from Deuteronomy. Um, And I quote, he found him in a desert land and in the
1: waste howling wilderness. So wait, I'm silent over here because I'm astonished. You know what? What if we um did a Anne of Green G- Gables book list like the Rory Gilmore reading challenge? All the books that Anne references. We'll see how
0: high we can get. Some of these, I'm sure we are um missing the references, but I, you know, I don't
1: mind giving it a go. Yeah. I mean, you'd only have to read the book of Deuteronomy. You don't actually have to read the whole Bible for that. You don't
0: even have to read it at all, as I just quoted it.
1: (laughs) No, it's a reading challenge. You have to read the whole thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Okay, so... Okay, get this. Get this. Oh, talk about eye battles. This is like an eye conversation. Marilla has had it, I think. Marilla's mind is too full of stuff. And she tells Anne sharply to hold your tongue. And Matthew flashes back to when Anne told him how everyone was always telling her to be seen and not heard and how many times in her whole life that she's heard that and you know, kind of how sad it made her and how nice it was to be able to talk at last. And I think Marilla's comment kind of struck Matthew like, oh no, she's going back to this now where nobody's going to hear her anymore. Like a vital part of her is going to be cut off. And I, I mean, Matthew's not thinking in those terms, but he, I think he feels the contrast.
1: He's kind of like, the heart of the family.
0: So Matthew throws into the conversation casually that he's gone ahead and hired a French boy. What? Why a French boy? Well, many of the French Canadians, Canadiens, got booted out in the late 1700s to become Cajuns. They were Acadians and they were booted out in the late 1700s by the British. And there seems to be lingering, even at this late date, some kind of class warfare and throughout Ellen Montgomery's books, often the servants are French. But here's the problem with boy servants. The big boys, the high school boys and older, go off to work at the canneries or on a ship where there's money, career. That's a manly thing to do. And they're not going to be farm hands. And so it's the middle school boys that are left to work on the farms. And so maybe I was thinking Why they wanted to adopt a boy is to kind of like grow a loyal big boy up in the family (laughs) so he wouldn't leave when he got big enough to go work, you know, in industry.
1: Mm -hmm. This is set in the 1890s, but in the 1880s in Prince Edward Island, the entire shipbuilding industry collapsed. And half the island economy is going to evaporate over the next few years. So all these people were migrating down to what's called they call the Boston states, which we think of as New England. So the population is decreasing and the that's the working population. So if they can they could adopt a boy and bring him up, that's at least somebody that might stay
0: and could be left the farm.
1: Right. So
0: this last-ditch effort on Anne's part to prove her worth is just... Marilla has a very firm comment about this project that they have just failed to accomplish.
1: Yeah, she says, You can't make up a family. Only kin is kin. Harsh. So now we enter another flashback. Flashback
0: to Mrs. Hammond, now a widow, obviously, ditching Anne at the orphanage. And the matron literally says, we are overcrowded. I don't want to take her. And Mrs. Hammond is, you will, because I have enough kin. You're not kin. I don't need another mouth to feed. And so Anne says, please don't leave me here. So honestly, the orphanage must be worse than what she just left.
1: I know. That's what I thought too. Like she wanted to stay with that. That was horrible.
0: Maybe it's the devil you know.
1: Yes, excellent point. We come back to current time and she drops the teacups in her, that's in her hand. And the first thing she says is nothing's broken. So the her first instinct is to lie, to cover herself up. Like right then, yeah, it was totally broken. But Marilla's like, it's no problem. I was never going to keep you anyway.
0: Oh, ouch. So literally, if you look at Anne's face right here, you see her hope dying. She had a grain of hope until that moment. And it is dead.
1: Broken with the teacup.
0: Matthew and Anne have a moment at the gate. They have a delightful moment where Matthew says, I didn't say I had hired a French boy to get rid of you. It was in hopes that you could stay. And that, my friends, is as much for Marilla as for Anne. Marilla's going to have to live with this disappointed man for the rest of her life. So let that sink in. And Mm -hmm. Anne is I mean, I was going to say happy, but she's not happy. She's comforted, anyway. And Matthew gets the first hug he's probably had in 40 years. And then he says, goodbye, Anne,
1: with an E. Okay, how long did it take you to fall in love with Matthew?
0: Oh, it was instant. Instantaneous.
1: Me too. But you know what? It wasn't only the first hug Matthew had gotten in years. It was probably the first hug maybe she'd ever gotten, you know? Oh, my God. So then we
0: go to Marilla and Anne on the road, where Marilla has a taste of the Anne charm. She's talking about how much she loves Matthew, and I feel he was a kindred spirit. And
1: Marilla says, you're both queer enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she actually said, my brother is a ridiculous man. And Anne's like, oh, no, he's lovely. He's lovely. (laughs) I love that Anne is brave enough to talk to Marilla, you know, tell her the truth.
0: Okay, get this. (laughs)
1: I just love it. This is one of my favorite things that Anne says. She
0: says that she's determined to enjoy the trip because she says, I find that if you make up your mind firmly, you can do anything. You have to make up your mind firmly, though, she says. And then she kind of sideways glances at Marilla and says, I believe this is something you and I have in common.
1: You know, that line, I, I, if I was Marilla, I'd be like, damn, this girl's got some clever in her. Maybe I shouldn't give her back if I was Marilla. But then again, I'm not. I would have kept Anne from the very beginning because that kid's got a vocabulary like nobody's business.
0: <laughs> so Anne wishes she was a seagull and etc. And then she asks, do you know anyone with red hair whose hair turned darker? And then Marilla says, not likely, which literally contrast with something later in this very episode by the way mm-hmm. so i don't 100 percent know anyway so Anne says that her heart is a graveyard of buried hopes and i went and looked that up too that is from a poem by john bennett and the lines in question are if there be graveyards in the heart where linger buried hopes and dreams so now we've got bible bronte bennett for your list
1: What a nice alliteration. Let's just stop there.
0: (laughs) Uh, I think Anne has read a lot of poetry in the book. I don't know that it comes out here in the series. But anyway, um, so that's where we are so far in the reading list, if you're keeping track. (laughs) We'll see. So this is when she mentions that she did go to school for like four months
1: at the asylum. Mm -hmm. Not very long, but she knows all this stuff. I mean, how smart must she have been? They never would have tested her IQ, but I would imagine off the charts smart, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think so. As
0: they're driving, Marilla asks for her story.
1: So how did you find
0: yourself an orphan? Anne starts in on a fairy tale and Marilla loses her temper. She, I mean, I actually found her reaction kind of off-putting. She says, how dare you? And she sounds full of suppressed rage and I kind of don't even get it. I mean, Anne, surely Anne was not really intending for her to believe the fairy tale. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think Anne was, quote, lying
1: mm No. And
0: she even says, this is way better than the real one. You're going to like this one better. And yeah. like, didn't ask for the better one. I asked for the truth. Okay. So see, they're, they're coming at this from the wrong side. I'm not here for amusement. I'm here for information. So Anne tells her the real story. So there's another one of these. It's not an eye battle because they actually don't meet eyes, but it's another direct confrontation. Morella's line is, wishing something were other than it is will not make it so. And then Anne obviously meaning staying at Green Gables, says, truer
1: words were never spoken. Mm. That's just Anne's coping strategy. Imagining things different than they really are is how she's gotten this far in life, you know? Right. So Anne told the real story. So in the show,
0: Anne was, quote, placed out at three months old after her parents died. Now, in the books... Her parents' cleaning lady actually took her to raise until she was about five or six, which explains – I mean, no one's taken a three-month-old servant, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it explains – she said, I've been earning my keep from a very young age, which literally I kind of went, no, what? So that explains a little bit of a plot hole in the series, just so you know. There was a neighbor in the middle that raised her until her own – until her own husband died. So anyway, um, so Anne says the following – If children are such a burden, then why do people have so many of them? And then she says, it's a shame I'll never have the opportunity to be one. And then Marilla asks, be what? And she said, a child. I think Marilla
1: is really touched. I definitely think so. I think this, I mean, obviously, this whole um, trip is a turning point for her but what happens next is that they're going along and this dog comes out from the side and starts barking and scares the horse but Anne, who's thrown from the wagon just bounces right back up and she is kind of like the alpha dog in the situation <laughs> and you know she springs right back up and she just takes charge and she tells that dog in no uncertain terms to go home and the dog does
0: And then her happy face, well, Marilla is concerned and she screams, Anne, right when Anne gets thrown out of the wagon, she's very concerned. And Anne turns around from having yelled at the dog and has this giant beaming smile on her face as she gets back in the wagon and says, wasn't that an adventure? (laughs) And then um, Marilla is very full of admiration and says, you were very level headed. Anne answers back, I'm used to a ruckus. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. A
0: ruckus. So, oh no, oh no, we get to Mrs. Spencer's, and Mrs. Spencer has a plan for Anne's future. Here's Mrs. Spencer's calm oasis, I'm saying. They walk up, and either she has a lot of help or no children. <laughs> I do not know <laughs> what's happening, but it is like a beautiful, quiet, there's lilacs.
1: Mrs. Spencer was at the orphanage because she was getting a girl for herself.
0: But they don't mention that in the series.
1: No. No, actually I think they do at the very beginning. And I think Marilla mentions it. Oh, okay. Um, just in passing that she but we never see the girl. Right. Yeah.
0: I, I like at least how Mrs. Spencer refers to her as dear Anne. Oh dear Anne, how are you? And she's also sorry, by the way. So we are in Canada. Oh, she's sorry. <laughs> and Anne's little face. And I just wrote I just wrote a sad face on my paper. Anne's little
1: I face hmm. Yeah. Mrs. Blewett is the solution that Mrs. Spencer comes up with. She's like, oh, it's positively providential. She's got the perfect solution. They don't want Anne at Green Gables, but Anne can go help Mrs. Blewett out. She's got a lot of children. Isn't that delightful? <laughs> and I think, you know, all of us who are watching it are like, heck no, that's not delightful. That sounds horrible. That's exactly what she just came from.
0: So let's go over there and talk to Mrs. Blewett.
1: Mrs. Spencer's house is very charming. Lots of flowers, a beautiful wall. The house looks, it's lovely. And then we get to Mrs. Blewett's and it's not so lovely. It's really run down and there's kids everywhere, including this screaming baby in a basket.
0: The squalor is
1: killing me. And while Mrs. Spencer was prim and proper and sweet and genteel, Mrs. Blewett is a harried and screaming. And if we thought Marilla was cold, this one is intentionally cold, I think.
0: I wrote here, Mrs. Blewett is a crazy dirt bag. (laughs) That's what I wrote and she's like well you're wiry well i don't suffer no fools you're gonna get the toe of my boot if you don't work and no mistake she does not match up with mrs spencer at all so is there no zoning of course there's not but these two women couldn't be more different but what gets me is that both of these women don't see anything wrong with a small child being treated this way this casual transfer of responsibility like we're giving away a kitten It didn't work out. I mean, until the 1920s, Canadian orphanages focused on what they called apprenticeships, which (laughs) means, you know, you send small boys to be farmhands, you send small girls out to be servants, and rather than foster care, like they need to be working for their keep. They're not children that must be protected. It's shocking. The lack of compassion from Mrs. Spencer startled me.
1: Yeah, me too. Because you would have thought that maybe she was a little nicer. But I think she's still basking in her, you know, this is a positively providential idea. Like, oh, I'm so brilliant. Look at this. This is a perfect fit.
0: I at least think Marilla feels it. If neither of these other, quote, respectable women are feeling at all weird about this situation, at least the person we're concerned with, Marilla, does. I do believe. Also, by the way, Anne is correct. When a baby has colic, gripe water does work. It's um basically like fennel water or fennel tea. It really does work.
1: Hmm. Huh. I mean, she recognized it right away. And, you know, she whispers to Marilla. She's like, oh, that's a colic cry. You know, it's like, I know what that is. Oh, yoy, yoy.
0: And so I laughed so hard when Marilla put on this prim and proper lady act of, of course, I couldn't possibly act without permission from my brother. We know it's an act. We already get it, which proves that Mrs. Spencer sure doesn't know Marilla very well because we don't either. And we already know that is full of poop. <laughs> so, um, also, I want, speaking of prop guys, if you're listening, that laundry basket that Mrs. Blewett is holding She doesn't deserve it. I think I need to give you my address and you need to send that to me. (laughs) Because I really like that basket. The one she's holding, not the one the baby's sitting in. But man, that actress that plays Anne is great. I mean, that one pleading and despairing look tips the balance, I think. And then the baby crying in the background is so stressful.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, even just watching it, and you know, Maril's really just came out today. She says to find out how this mix-up happened, and you can just see Anne's face. She's like, "Wait, what? Wait, what? You know, this is what? What? What is she saying? You know, am I hearing this right?" But she's just silent. She's. She's not going to say a word. She's afraid
0: to mess it up. If she says anything, there's nothing she can say. This is a pleasant surprise that she was not looking for. She was fully prepared to dig right in, I guess. Find the fennel, make the gripe water, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) What a nice surprise this is. But on the way back to the wagon, Anne has already recovered enough to make a witch joke. (laughs) And bless Marilla, she pleads for silence. On the way home, no talk. I have things on my mind. And Anne makes that little gesture where she closes
1: her mouth with a key and throws it away. <laughs> yeah. Okay. If you say so, I'll, I'm going to be quiet. Not a problem. Not a problem. But is probably like, oh, great. Now I got to go back and eat crow with Matthew, you know. <laughs> so next we're going to see Matthew. He's out tinkering on something outside in the barn, as he always says. You know what? His fingernails are dirty. I love that. <laughs> I mean, I don't love dirty fingernails, but it's so authentic for somebody You know, what? he would have had dirty fingernails. And he sees Anne in the wagon and he has this huge smile on her face. It's like, oh my gosh, his dream came true. Anne's dream came true. And they pull up and Marilla looks at him and she's like, wipe that silly grin off your face.
0: Like Marilla is kind of mad at herself for giving in, (laughs) I think. But Anne can't stop smiling and I can't stop smiling. And it is a beautiful, beautiful
1: thing. It is. And Matthew and Anne have this moment of, you know, where they look at each other and just smile at each other like, yes. Oh, my gosh. That was so happy. So in the barn,
0: the brother and sister, while they're milking, decide on a one week trial for Anne. Uh, And then she says five days. So I guess maybe either she's already been there two days Is that what they're thinking? She's already been there? Well, it seems like to me that Matthew had some face on that we, the viewer, can't see. Because Marilla, (laughs) he's pushed her buttons, I guess. And um, I wonder if that skill was a little rusty. Speaking of skills being rusty, he knows how to push his sister's buttons. And he did off screen. So that was delightful.
1: (laughs) So now it's bedtime They go upstairs and I have no use for little girls who aren't neat. You know, I was so upset last night that I I will be neat. You know, she's taking off her clothes to go to bed and she's folding everything up. But then all of a sudden it's time to pray. And Anne's matter of factly, she doesn't know how to pray. And Marilla is aghast.
0: She says, don't you know, it's wicked not to pray. And you know what? No. In fact, no one has even brought that up in her entire life, except for, I say, in the book. Mrs. Thomas, that's the cleaning lady that took her when she was really little. Mrs. Mm -hmm. Thomas told me that God made my hair red on purpose, and I've never cared for him since. (laughs) That's from the book, (laughs) by the way. So she has (laughs) heard of God. She just doesn't approve of his choices.
1: At this point, her view of religion is it's all words. You know, it's about poetry. She likes the idea of prayer, but... um, you know, personally, prayers as a chore, which is what she's having her do, uh, I don't think that's a good idea. But Also,
0: on a lighter note, um, Anne is also sorry
1: because she's Canadian. Okay. <laughs> Amy Beth McNulty is actually Canadian-Irish. She lives in Ireland. And she had a dialect coach come in and told her to, you know, pepper it with some sorries. And <laughs> <laughs> there's an
0: aboot somewhere. Marilla says it. I didn't write it down. But there's one aboot that I, that I got... Um... But the story is the thing that's cracking me up.
1: Yeah. And the man that plays uh, Matthew Cuthbert, it's R.H. Thompson. He is actually Canadian, and he had to tone down his accent so that it would be more like the other actors because Geraldine James is British.
0: Well, Anne is really willing to do whatever it takes. And I have to say, I love her unconventional prayer idea. Like, if I really wanted to pray, I would go into a field under that great sky, and I would Just feel a prayer. And I have to tell you that I constantly see Marilla being torn between wanting to smile, i.e. agree or make some comment, and on the other side, trying to be the person
1: bringing up a child. Mm -hmm. In that instance, that's, you know, feeling a prayer outdoors. That's actually what prayer is supposed to be like. It's not supposed to be, like I said, a chore. but
0: I want to ask, though. By whose
1: by the standards of Susan Vollenweider, Missouri centered Lutheran. <laughs> okay I'm just
0: saying because I, I have no uh, dog in this fight, shall we say so that all that uh, doctrine stuff's gonna be on you
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's doctrine, is it? I mean prayer is supposed to be you know part of your relationship, my relationship with Jesus. So
0: I do believe others do not see that as a relationship.
1: Oh, I completely agree with you there.
0: So there you go. That's all I'm gonna say.
1: <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. Um, so so anyway,
0: um, okay, so this we can all agree on. When Anne snuggles into that bed, after having said respectfully yours, Anne Shirley, which I really think is a delightful end to a prayer and is so cute, she realizes, <laughs> oh no, wait, I should have said amen. Well, should I get back out and do it again? She says in the book and umbrella's like, please get in the bed. But when Anne snuggles into that bed, that is a little child with some hope. That is a little child who feels secure at last. That is a delightful, tiny little two-second scene.
1: And it's such a wonderful juxtaposition to the night before where she sobbed herself to sleep. She's just so comfy now. Or last night, she was really literally in the depths of despair. When Marilla goes downstairs after tucking Anne in, um, she says to Matthew, the girl's next door to a perfect heathen. It's like, oh, we've got so much work to do with her.
0: (laughs) And I keep thinking in the book, that was actually the tipping point right there when she realized, wait, I could do her some good because Matthew Mm -hmm. does say, you know, Marilla's like, what good is she to us? And Matthew says, we could be some good to her. And Mm -hmm. that is kind of hammered home in the book when Marilla realizes how lax Anne's religious education has been, and perhaps that is something she could help with. So I think that in the book is a little bit more of the tipping point than it's portrayed in this in this series. I like it, nonetheless. Even the lighting is authentic. I super like it. Anyway.
1: Oh, I know.
0: So it's morning time. It's morning time and where is Anne? Is she gone? I'll check the silverware drawer. No, she's up early. She's outside doing chores and her little face, she leaps out of the chicken coop and she says eggs really loudly and she has flowers all in her hair and she doesn't have her little pinafore on and she looks freaking bizarre, but so happy. She's carrying a bunch of, um, I think they're apple blossoms in her hand. And she's carrying a basket of eggs in the other. And it's so easy to love green gables. And Matthew just pees out. And he goes to let the cows out. (laughs) And Marilla is like, I'll have breakfast on when you get back.
1: Well, when she shows up with those flowers in her hair, and this is actually what they use on the uh, cover art for this show of her with these flowers, but it's so realistic. That's exactly how a young girl would make a little chain of flowers and put it on her head, just sticking out askew. It would never be one of those perfect, you know, wreaths of flowers that you see on little kids sometimes. It would be like that, just crazy wild in this wild hair that's not even brushed. Ah. So realistic.
0: (laughs) And so Marilla is like, You should have left these on the tree. You know, I thought so too. If I was a blossom, I wouldn't want to be picked. Wouldn't it be delightful to be a blossom? And then Marilla's only comment on that is, Yesterday, you wanted to be a seagull. (laughs) (laughs) Get used to the likes of that, Marilla. I
1: know. I, I did lol, like literal, on that one. I was like, Oh, that's so funny. Here is a little window into Marilla, though.
0: Guess what she did with the apple blossoms? She did not put them in the fire. She put them in a vase in the middle of the table where they remain, as a matter of fact, for quite a long way. And they play a major part in another scene. So Mm -hmm. we're not burning up Anne's field flowers anymore. Now they have pride of place on the dining room table.
1: Just saying. Yeah, there's some pretty in their house. How about them apples? So next we see Anne. She is out at the clothesline and they're, There's sun shining through. It's just beautiful. And she's got a little card in her hand and she's reciting it and she's learning the Lord's prayer. But again, she likes it for the poetry. She's all excited about this prayer, but she's excited about it for the way the words are working for her, you know, like the poetry of it.
0: Well, it's obvious that Marilla wants a less creative prayer tonight than she had last night. (laughs) So she's got the old uh, faithful one there, but um, okay. So get this. I have been, Looking at this whole episode. And do you remember the old saying from Laura Ingalls Wilder? It's wash on Monday, iron on Tuesday, mend on Wednesday, churn on Thursday, clean on Friday, bake on Saturday. So I'm wondering, is this Tuesday? I'm just saying. I just want to kind of see. I'm losing track. I'm trying to nail it down. But I keep thinking this might be Tuesday because this is the day that you're taking the dry wash off the line, right? Right.
1: Oh, my gosh. If, I wish this was a visual medium for this just this one moment because my jaw is literally <laughs> wide open. Like, oh, my gosh. That is brilliant. Good well, job. And
0: if you get – okay, so more more later. More later on that. So, Marilla decides that she has a bolt of cloth, and she may as well use it. She always gives her gifts with such an offhand. Like, I. it's just being wasted. I might as well make you a dress. Like, she's not – she's not like, I would – be delighted to make you a dress. It's like, well, you know, you need something serviceable. I will make it. And Anne pitches for puff sleeves, of course, and blue, <laughs> and blue. but she gets a brown. It's a very sensible color. And Anne and Marilla have another eye showdown, which I love right here. Well, if you make it as plain as this one, it shouldn't take you any time at all, says Anne. And then they have the, I mean, you look, they hold each other's eyes
1: for like a full four seconds. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Marilla's like, I'm not going to dignify that with the response. And Anne's like, and now you know my feelings.
1: <laughs> That's funny. And I have to say, there's a first appearance of Puffy Sleeves. Anne's kind of got a little obsession with them through every adaptation and including this one.
0: Mrs. Lind comes for an inspection and catches the wrath of Anne. That's the 30-second summary of this, but oh, so much happens. So Mrs. Lind shows up. And she's made an excuse. I guess I didn't think you'd have time to do anything. I've made you some scones. Or is it scones? I don't even know. So out of sequence, maybe, on her baking day for an excuse to come in and get the deets. You know. She's a close enough friend, though, to come in the back. Come in the back and sit in the kitchen. I don't even know if she knocks. Does she even knock? I guess I don't know. But um, it's kind of like now. And Tell me if I'm wrong. If you okay. go to someone's house and you don't know them very well, it doesn't occur to you to go upstairs, does it?
1: No, never. So
0: that's kind of like coming in the front door versus coming in the back door. So oh, to, yeah. To me, it seems like that's the private area. So anyway, Marilla blames Matthew for the whole thing. And Mrs. Lind, when Anne comes downstairs, is so casually mean that are her 10 kids scarred for life or
1: what? <laughs> she is harsh. And again, it's like she's treating Anne like she's just an object. Like she can't hear her. you know, Anne's like, I'm right here, you know, and she's like, well, the first thing she says is they didn't pick you for your looks. And then she goes on to carry on about her skinniness and her hair being red, red as carrots.
0: Ooh. Fine words.
1: Yeah. In Anne's world, I guess carrots are her tipping point right there. And oh, Anne talks back, To Mrs. Lynde.
0: Anne goes off and she tells her, how would you feel if someone called you fat? How would you feel if someone called her blah, blah, blah? You are a rude, unfeeling woman and I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. And honestly, watch Marilla's face. She sort of is pleasantly surprised at one point. (laughs) Did you see that? Like, no. All right. Um, So obviously she's embarrassed. I mean, Anne runs out and she does back Anne a little bit. She gently says, you should not have twitted her about her looks. And Mrs. Lynde is very harsh about orphans, just like Mrs. Spencer. It just kills me because these are respectable, nice women who presumably have children in their lives. Like, I don't envy you bringing that up, she says. Send her back. Oh, I see. The fine feelings of orphans must now be considered. Yes, you do need to
1: give her a talking to with a fair size birch switch. And then she she wants her to send her off. Beat her and kick her out is what Rachel wants to happen to Anne. You know, and here's the thing. Marilla was outwardly supportive of Anne just a couple seconds ago. She had said she's a bright little thing. You know, that's positive. She's saying something very positive. And now suddenly, you know, Rachel wants her to beat her and send her off, Rachel, with all the experience in parenting, and Marilla with zero.
0: I love that whole thing at the end, that whole fakey, fake, oh no, I'm not, she says vexed, which I love that word, I'm going to bring that back, she goes, I'm not vexed, I'm far too sorry for you to have any room left for being vexed. But then (laughs) that look at the end, though, where she straightens up her bodice and then gives Marilla the eye and then whips her head and gets out of the kitchen, I just
1: love it. (laughs) i have to i'm I'm flipping through my papers so that i can add um vexed to the end of green gables drinking game because they say it a lot be vexed they say it and they be it they be it it. (laughs) they be it it's okay i'm a professional i use words all the time okay So the next thing we see is Anne. Anne had run out of the house and she's just running and she's running through the fields and she's running and she's running in her underwear. I have to point out because Marilla needed her dress to use as a pattern, but she doesn't care. She's just running, running, running until she is at a cliff and the camera pans out to show the vast expanse of cliff here in Prince Edward Island. It is stunning, you know, as a visual, but it's like, oh my gosh, Anne's like, Now what do I do? I mean, literally and figuratively. She's
0: so tormented and they freeze on her face and one of her braids has come undone and the wind is blowing
1: and she says nothing. Did you read in her face, should I jump? Did that occur to you at all? It didn't. Oh, (laughs) maybe I'm even darker than this.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I was kind of, I guess, flashing back even to maybe Pride and Prejudice where they had Elizabeth Bennet standing on the cliff and you let the wind blow on you and and let the air blow the cares away and you just mm-hmm. stand there and just kind of take in the atmosphere and let all the hate and stress leak out of you maybe
1: elizabeth bennett wasn't in her underwear
0: <laughs> elizabeth bennett was a grown person though oh oh excellent point back in the barn with matthew and marilla and Anne comes back and apologizes matthew immediately gives Anne his jacket and looks genuinely concerned, like, is she okay? And he is hoping Marilla's going to be reasonable. I, I don't know if he has much hope about it, but he really, he's, he's pulling that way. Like, oh, please, oh, please. Because on the way back to the house, he puts his little oar in and he goes, remember when old lady Adams said you were gawky? And Marilla's like, oh, do not embarrass me. Like, he's <laughs> trying to say, now think, think about how you felt. Think about, and she's like, uh, uh, uh. not in front of the child. You know? (laughs) So Anne is contrite. She really is. Shut me up in a dungeon. I'm so sorry I vexed you. That would be drinking. Can we start the drinking game? I didn't mean to vex you. I didn't mean to vex Mr. Matthew. She's really apologetic. And Marilla answers her dryly. We're not in the habit of shutting people up in dungeons. I cannot. The face off here is just amazing. But Matthew wishes. Oh, does he wish he'd been there to see Mrs. Lynn? Get it.
1: And Marilla, of course, tells him that's inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered at this point if Matthew was kind of looking at Anne as almost a role model. Has Matthew been having these thoughts going through his head this whole time? If they're kindred spirits, Anne might say what Matthew was already thinking.
0: I wish I was brave enough to act like that. I see it. Yeah. So um, so he's putting the milk
1: in the crocks, by the way. So
0: I don't know if that's for churning on Thursday, if we're following along. <laughs>
1: on our weekly chore list <laughs> uh, I don't
0: know um Marilla lays down the law it's not me in fact you have to apologize to you have to apologize to Mrs. Lynn no deal she was in the wrong not me she needs to apologize to me and Marilla's like not gonna happen you're gonna be in your room well then I'm gonna be in my room forever and she's like well I hope your mind changes by morning because you're in the room so Anne goes upstairs Marilla is in the kitchen and Matthew's like oh no what is happening and moonlight fades to morning and there she is still in the room and Matthew sneaks upstairs like a spy to listen at the door and in the book it says that Matthew's only been upstairs in his own house five years ago to help Marilla hang the wallpaper up there but otherwise he hasn't been upstairs in his own house in 20 years
1: Uh uh-huh yeah I I noticed that too well he wants to
0: make sure she's not crying I think he's listening he doesn't knock he doesn't say anything we cycle
1: through again it's night number two and again, he sneaks up to her room. And this time he does go in. And what is Anne doing? She's playing pretend in her head. So she's, you know, she's not completely upset. I don't know what they thought she was doing up there, if she was crying again or really upset. But she's just play acting in her head. And Matthew's whole mission here is to talk Anne into going to apologize. And I thought for some, a man who does not talk very much, He did a very brilliant job, don't you think? Well, I think so. And he's got some
0: motivation because he has lived with Marilla for over 60 years. And he knows this could end up being forever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he said, Marilla is a dreadful, determined woman. And Anne's like, so am I. Okay,
1: okay.
0: uh, You know, (laughs) he thinks of another way to approach it. And I think he uses the right tack, meaning... He says, it's terrible, lonesome down there without you. And he also says, you're smart. You can find the right words. One day, you won't care what anyone thinks. Mm -hmm. That was good, I think.
1: And she agrees. And he's leaving the room. And he turns back. And he's like, let's just keep this a secret between the two of us. Actually, I liked how they said it in the book better. Because he talked about um, that he had promised not to put his oar in in raising her. But in this, he says, raising you is her department, meaning Marilla. All right. We'll have this little secret and she'll take it to her death, you know. <laughs> Overly dramatic, but what a sweet moment because has Anne ever had anyone this on her side? Ever, nope. never, 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 never. I think they're beyond kindred spirits, actually. It is very
0: really mm-hmm. nice. And so now we go to Marilla and Anne on their way to Mrs. Lynn's house. And Anne performs, and that is in quotes, her epic apology. And I have to tell you, Mrs. Lynde, sitting on her porch in a wicker rocker, has no freaking idea of what is happening here. But Anne sure means it, whatever
1: it is. She's so (laughs) bewildered. Or she Anne, throws herself at her feet, you know, literally and just starts apologizing that she shouldn't have said those things. And that what Rachel said was actually true, that she knows she's ugly and she knows she's had horrible red hair. And, you know, I agree with you, Mrs. Lind. It's just horrible. And Rachel is just so taken aback. That's where she starts to flip. She's like, well, Anne, I'm outspoken. Don't mind me.
0: I hate when people say that. Why? Sad excuse for being rude.
1: Okay, but Anne's response is just brilliant. Okay, I'm outspoken. Don't mind me, says Rachel. And Anne says, I look forward to not minding you ever again.
0: I know. I do love that. And
1: I have to tell you, the whole time Marilla is
0: standing over there suspecting this is one of those Princess Cordelia things, Mm -hmm. but I think, you know, well, as long as Mrs. Lynde is buying this, I'm going to let this roll, kind of. You know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. everyone gets that last thing, and there's a moment. Everyone gets that, I'm looking forward to never minding you again.
1: (laughs) I was audio listening to Anne of Green Gables, and During this scene, for some reason, it just struck me that Maude Montgomery here kind of reminds me of how Jane Austen was. And then I kept noticing it throughout the rest of the story. Like she makes these wry observations on society that have like double meanings to them. Like Mm -hmm. on the face, they're like a statement. I look forward to not minding you ever again. But in reality, it's a, you know, kind of a sarcastic comment and I don't know. Did Jane Austen influence Maude Montgomery more than I thought she did? I really
0: think she did. And I also think this particular adaptation of Anne has a little bit of an ancestor in the Mansfield Park adaptation from Jane Austen, the new one, because I think Fanny Price, the main character in Mansfield Park, in that adaptation is like half the book character and half Jane Austen herself. I really do. They think they mixed them up. And I think the same thing happened here. I think you've got Anne from the book and you've got Ellen Montgomery mixed Mm -hmm. together in this main character. And I have thought that the whole time I've been watching this.
1: Even like the comments about society, not even direct quotes like this, just about how society is. Jane Austen did the same thing. Yeah, it was great. Well, what happens next is Rachel, remember that comment before where... Marilla couldn't remember anyone that had red hair that had turned a different color later in life, and it just broke Anne's heart. Well, Rachel actually remembers a girl that they went to school with, her and Marilla, and she had red hair. And as she got older, it turned into a beautiful auburn. And you can just see Marilla's face. She's like, oh yeah, I forgot about her. Did Marilla just like block out everything? Like, is she like such an in-the-moment woman that she doesn't even think You know, she doesn't have a whole lot of nostalgia in her. I I literally wrote down, what is that look? Did
0: Marilla have red hair? I'm concerned. Oh. You're going to pretend not to remember someone that had red hair, and then Mrs. Lind is slyly referring to you remember.
1: Oh, that's interesting. I just assumed it was some, you know, it's a small town. When young Marilla comes, that's a little bit of a spoiler alert. I Mm -hmm. forgot to look ahead. Let's see if she has red hair.
0: Um, So anyway, um, I don't remember. (laughs) Um, So Mrs. Lynde, that is a gift, I do believe, um, that makes Anne's heart happy. A little gift of hope about her hair. Because you know what? She only had those two requests the first night of the unconventional prayer. Let me stay at Green Gables, so check. Please let me be good looking when I grow up. And in Anne's world, that means the red hair needs to go. I mean, I don't think that's true, but Anne thinks it's true. And so here is a bit of hope that the second one's going to come true, too.
1: So they go home and Anne is so excited and Marilla is just stunned about what she had just seen. Didn't I do a great job? That was a perfect apology. And, you know, Marilla's like, um, um, um.
0: (laughs) My favorite line there is, apologizing is my new favorite thing. (laughs) They're coming home and catches mm-hmm. sight of the new hired boy. And, oh, does she have an antagonistic conversation when she sees him. His name is Jerry. She sees Jerry in the hayloft. It reminds me of when a cat smells another cat. Nuh-uh. to go up. She hustles herself in there to, to stake out that territory. And he introduces himself in a French accent as Jerry Bernard. Although in the book, he's Jerry Boat. Um, which everyone pronounces as Jerry Boot. In the book, he's named after a publisher. Boot was an actual mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe that was too confusing, or they really wanted to put this story in. But anyway, so his name's Baynard, and he probably did speak French at home. There's a long history of French speaking in Canada going back to the 1600s. It's not just Quebec. So, He's doing all the boy work that isn't getting done by the orphan from the asylum. Which, okay, I wonder how that kid's life would have changed. That kid who never came. We never find out. The boy that might have come had they realized it was a boy. But I've always wondered what happened to that kid.
1: (laughs) Didn't think about it.
0: And a little note to self on the whole Baynard thing. Um, Baynard's a famous horse. And he always has been. Even before Charlemagne. He started out magical and macho, by the way. And then gradually in the fairy tales, he got to be blind and then he got to be kind of a fool. And, you know, Chaucer had him in there, too. He's also known as Bayard and Bayard. And he's kind of a bumbling doofus in a lot of the later things. But what the heck? You know, did you not just get bent out of shape over the same kind of rudeness a second ago?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. I was curious about the hierarchies between you know here's this kid in a huge family that doesn't have a lot of money so he has to um go out and work but then there's anne and she's an orphan which is like bottom of the social rank so is he just like a little higher than her i don't know but i have to say i love this character it's new to this story i mean it was just a one or two lines in the original book but he's kind of like the brother almost like their relationship it's yeah. kind of like a sibling relationship. They butt heads a lot, and neither one is shy about telling the other exactly what's on their mind.
0: Right at the beginning, though, this first episode, he tries to be nice for a little bit, and then he just can't mm-hmm. take it. He pieces out. He's like, what are you supposed to be doing? I know what my job is. And then, oh, the silhouette of Ann. Mad. She's going out the lit-up barn door, and she rips off her hat and stalks out there, and that is just iconic, too. So Anne, who is full of rage, looks over and sees Matthew clutching his heart. He explains about why Jerry's there. I need help. And Marilla knows I need help. But here's the thing, Anne. Marilla is older, too. And she also needs help. She'll never admit it. I, myself, he's implying, would feel better if she had help in the house. And so Jerry asked, what are you supposed to be doing? Oh, Matt just told her what she should be doing, which is to go in the house and be Marilla's help.
1: And when Matthew takes her hand and they smile, I just, I mean, he's the best. Yeah. And I don't think either one of them has ever had somebody, like I keep saying this over and over again, but has had that relationship with anybody in their whole lives. And I, it's totally sweet. The next thing we see is Mr. Fancy Pants' neighbor arrives to bloviate. He comes in on this horse, and he's all sitting very straight, and he issues an invitation for them to come to tea. It turns out he has children. that are about Anne's age, but before we commit our children to associate with your Anne, blah, 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 we have to make sure that she's good enough. What?
0: And he (laughs) refers to Anne as... Your new acquisition. And was he British in the books? I just don't know. But I think that's a shorthand way to say he's as snooty as it gets. Because he is. And Matthew, after this really backhanded invitation, she needs to audition, mm-hmm. basically, to see if she's good enough to hang out with our children. And so Matthew says, I understand, but what I think he means is, F- you."
1: <laughs> I think that's the first time I've heard you use that word. Oh, yeah.
0: I'll probably bleep it. But
1: I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Because, you know, Mr. Barry is like, surely you understand. And Matthew's like, oh, yeah, I understand.
0: <laughs> so when Matthew goes in to deliver the invitation to his womenfolk, Marilla's stress transmits to Anne so badly. I mean, she's freaking out about the dress. She's freaking out about Anne's behavior. And Anne, this breaks my heart a little, immediately assumes that the neighbors must need help. And that's why we're going over there. But no, Matthew and Marilla explain that there's children about her age and they might end up being friends.
1: And it blows Anne's mind. Real friends, she says. Real friends, which of course is a positive thing, but it makes Anne think back to another time in her life. And we have another one of those Horrible flashback scenes. It's a very, it's a very violent bullying episode at the orphanage that involves a dead mouse and several girls holding Anne down, trying to get her to open her mouth so they can put this mouse in there. And they're talking about how they're tired of her stories about Princess Cordelia. Princess Cordelia's been with Anne for a very long time. And they just want her to shut up. You know, nobody likes you. Go away. Here's a mouse. Ugh.
0: I don't know if it's three or four of them on my last track. They're all moving around. But they are the hardest jerks ever. And she's just come in. She's a new girl. She's not been in the orphanage. They've been in there since birth, probably. So mm-hmm. what's going to become of them? They've never had anyone be nice to them their whole lives. And if you don't have the imagination Anne has, you know, what are you going to become? I mean, honestly, they'll probably turn out like Mrs. Blewett. And that's at best. hmm And you know what the thing Anne does after this whole horrible incident... She apologizes to the mouse who is dead.
1: I, I had tears in my eyes. I think if you're a parent and you're wondering if this show's right for your kids, just watch it up to that part because I think that's probably the, um, the worst thing that happens if I'm trying if I'm remembering correctly, you know, if your kids can handle that, I think they could probably handle the whole series. Do you agree?
0: I, I yeah, I guess so. I mean there's you mean, in addition to the things that went before?
1: yeah yeah yeah. Right. Watch it up to like I mean at least this point before you decide, right because there's sweet things that happen, and then there's these kind of things. so
0: I don't know. There's a couple of references here in mm, I don't remember if it's episode three or four that I don't even like, so uh, yeah, go
1: on an episode by episode basis, oh, you think, okay, I think so, yeah, yeah,
0: um, so yeah, we'll talk about that when we get there. I
1: right, sure. well, and actually, um. The writer, uh, Moira Wally Beckett, said that there's plenty of versions of Anne of Green Gables out there for five-year-olds. This is a more realistic, I'm paraphrasing, this is a more realistic version of it. So,
0: Well, speaking of writing and the writer, we're going to go back to the present day right after that. And Anne promises to be quiet as a mouse. That's some good writing. That's Mm -hmm. tying in together. And that's really all I have to say about that scene because that's all she says. She promises to be quiet as a mouse. Mm -hmm. So Marilla and Anne are getting ready to go, and Marilla gives Anne a ribbon out of a little box. And I have to tell you, the ribbon is more of a big deal later. So let's just say it says a lot that Marilla gives it to Anne. It's a big deal. So if you're thinking Marilla doesn't care, if you only knew about that ribbon, you would know she does care about Anne. She has just given her this ribbon. Just remember that for, you know, later. And we see the brooch. It's the amethyst brooch that leads to a bit of a fracas in the book and will shortly lead to a little bit of fracas in (laughs) the series. But Anne and Marilla have a little cute conversation about how Anne loves amethysts a lot more than diamonds. And in the book, she explains that anytime she read about diamonds, she imagined them purple. And when she first saw a real diamond, she was very disappointed. So amethysts to her are the highest ideal of jewelry. And here Marilla has one. And isn't that great? But this is actually
1: the, like a very sentimental moment for Marilla, who doesn't ever talk about this stuff. She's just, she's just not a sentimental woman, but she's talking about how it was handed down through her family to her. And it's very sentimental. It means a lot to her. And in the book, it has
0: a piece of her mother's hair in it. So
1: it is really irreplaceable. Mm -hmm.
0: They don't mention that in this series, but in the book, that's kind of a little added, like something.
1: Yeah. So how does Marilla, she wears it on her shawl. It's her dress up shawl. She uses it to pin the shawl shut. So Marilla and Anne are going off to the Barry's house. And again, Anne is just so stressed because they're going to meet Diana, you know, this potential friend in her whole family.
0: I'm calling this scene scared straight. Because <laughs> man, those Barry's are strict and proper. I am i mean, Minnie Mae is freaking cute, by the way, the little sister. Oh, Yeah. And um the mother also has a British accent. Is that shorthand for oh, Snooty? Again, I just don't know. I don't remember her being British in the book. Anyway, um, at first, I have to tell you, honestly, I was not down with this Diana casting at first. Why? So she did not bear any resemblance to what I
1: thought Diana should act like. It seems, I don't know. Uh, I assure
0: you later, it's fine. But this episode, I'm like... See,
1: I saw her, Diana, having her company manners on. And I thought physically, she looked a lot more like Diana is described in the book. There's been Dianas that were cast as, you know, tall, thin, dark blonde girls where... Diana has dark hair and she's, you know, dimpled and she's got dimples on her elbows. And um, I thought she looked I thought she looked so much more like the Diana that I had in my head. So that's interesting that you say that. Hmm.
0: Just behaviorally, I was disappointed at this first one. Unlike everyone
1: else who is dreaming a half from the beginning. I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I took a minute to warm up. She had her best company behavior on and her mother was watching her every move.
0: I have a feeling that she probably watches her every move her whole life.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and also,
0: I think it is super gross that Anne has to audition for this family. I'm just saying I don't like the whole scenario. Mm-mm. That she's there on approval. I find that very, very offensive. Well, mm-hmm. anyway, luckily, luckily, we escape the parlor or whatever, and Diana and Anne get to walk alone together in the forest, and... <laughs> At first, Diana said, have you always been shy or is that because you're an orphan? So obviously, Anne's been too afraid to be herself the whole afternoon. But you know, Anne, she cannot keep a lid on it. Her personality starts leaking out. And soon she's jumping around being Joan of Arc, etc. (laughs)
1: And it doesn't take long. It just takes like a couple sentences about needlepoint not providing much scope for the imagination. And yeah, boom. I
0: I love how Diana sees strange and is attracted
1: to it. And everyone else is kind of repelled.
0: Mm -hmm. But um, (laughs) the swearing, can we swear to be friends? And how Diana says that's sinful to swear. And then this line kind of got me. There are two kinds of swearing, I know, because I have worldly experience. Mm. So that hints at dark things, which, of course, Diana does not understand Mm -mm. what that even means. We do, because we've seen the flashbacks. And we know who was swearing the other way. I also have to tell you, for those detractors who say little girls would not be linking pinkies and swearing to be friends after what was maybe an hour in the forest, I assure you it's perfectly possible to make friends that fast. Believe me because I have a husband who (laughs) I was pretty much engaged to in about that period of time, too. And we're about to hit 25 years. So detractors, I'm
1: sorry, I have the evidence on the side. (laughs) Well, and think about it, you know, when you were in kindergarten, or when you went off to college, those first friends you make in college, you make them fast. So this is the same situation, you know, and they got to be And here's the words that they use a lot in the show and in the book, bosom friends. Anne was so excited that they got to, she got a bosom friend. Yay. There's another term for the drinking game.
0: (laughs) All right. Marilla and Anne go over the afternoon. You've made such a good impression. I think she's made a better impression on Diana. But, you know, the proper impression on the mother too, which Marilla had said doesn't matter what Diana thinks. If her mother doesn't like you, you're not going over there, mm-hmm. um, which is true enough. Kind of true even now, honestly.
1: And that's actually a little foreshadowing.
0: Yes. And they also, it's a little, I don't even know what to call it, a little crumb to the book people. They referenced the church picnic that is such a major hook to the original brooch
1: story. So it's a nod. They know it's different. Mm -hmm.
0: They're like, yes, we know. There's a church picnic, but we're not going to go there. Well, they can't. Everybody
1: else has gone there. They have to go someplace else. And this is the way that they go by just mentioning it.
0: So Anne faithfully tries on the shawl during princess pretend time. And we're still okay. We're still on track with the book here. She does, I think. Doesn't she try it on? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the book? Yeah. So we're still okay here. (laughs) Marilla accuses Anne of taking the brooch, and now we reach the big diversion. So there's the rage, the suppressed rage, first when Marilla is after Anne to confess, confess, confess that you took it, I know you took it, and then when, I mean, I have to say she's desperate, Anne's kind of in a bad place, and she makes up a story and confesses to save herself, whoa, I mean, dang, I, I clutched my chair arm, I did not see this. This coming, Marilla tells her she's to be sent back in the morning.
1: hmm why, why didn't you see that coming? That's in the book, isn't it? She doesn't get sent back in the book. No, no, no. She didn't She didn't send her back, but Marilla said she was going to send her back. And that was the tough choice that Anne had. She hadn't... There was no right way out. She could confess to something that didn't happen, or she could be sent back. That's the choice that Marilla gave her. No, in but in the book, she...
0: Couldn't go to the church picnic.
1: Oh, there was
0: not as high of a stakes. That's oh, you I are said.
1: absolutely right. You are absolutely right, and I do apologize. You are correct. So, right, it was,
0: it was like a lot lower. This this brooch, it meant something, but it didn't mean the end of all the good in Anne's world, which is what it seems to mean here. And I, I was quite taken aback. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, off script. If you know, purists are not going to like. This, um, pretty much at all, and um, and hyperventilates. I, I just have to say that's high to low in 30 seconds, and I didn't see it coming either. And there might still be a handprint on that chair. I'm not real sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, she didn't. I mean, she thought if she confessed, she could stay. And the story she made up was very believable. Yeah, she Would- said
0: that she had um, taken it outside to see it glitter in the moonlight and had leaned over the well and it had fallen down the well. Mm-hmm. And in the book, it fell in Barry's pond, equally right. irretrievable. but um, water, you know. Oh, OK.
1: We have this terrible, conflicting scene where now Anne, her dream is crushed in one moment. And Marilla flipped really fast. But this was the like the one sentimental thing she had. I mean, think about it when you have everybody's had this happen, right? Where there's a flood in the basement and your college yearbook gets destroyed, or, you know, or something that means something to you yeah. and that feeling you have, you know, it's just a thing, but there's so much emotion tied to that thing mm-hmm. that you're just crushed. And I think, you know, that's why Marilla flips so fast. But the next thing we see is, again, it's another morning and the sun is up, but Anne is sitting in the back of a wagon and she's on her way back to the orphanage.
0: Like a workman's wagon. Could you see what was in the back of that cart?
1: Fish. Oh my God. There was fish I had to I, I'm like, what is in that cart? Yeah, there's like, a, and I couldn't quite figure out where the fish would have come from. Or if they just like got a hold of this guy and he, they knew he was going back to town. And he was bringing some fish with him because it wouldn't have come from the Cuthbert's farm. They didn't farm fish.
0: No, I think it was just like a passing wagon. Like that's how far she's fallen. You know what the family's not even going to take you back. You can sit <laughs> in the back of this guy's wagon. On his way Mm. to the harbor. That's how good you are now. It's like a real, oh. But Marilla wants to make sure she's not sending Matthew. Because that is just ridiculous. Because Anne will use her magic and Matthew will have all these conflicting feelings and it'll just be a mess. And she herself doesn't want to hear it either. She doesn't want Anne to use her... It's not trickery. It's not. But she doesn't want her to use her personality on any member of the family. You can talk to the fish man. He has no stake in this game. You just... Get out. It's the most coldest thing.
1: Oh, my God. (laughs) But then the house is empty. I mean, you can feel it. It's just they eat breakfast in silence. You know, both of them are just sad and upset. And they go about their day not even saying a word to each other.
0: I have written here
1: montage of sadness. And
0: how they punctuate that is the flowers that Anne, you know, should have left on the tree that Marilla put in a vase. Are symbolically falling apart in front of Marilla. I don't know if you've noticed that.
1: James- no, I didn't. I noticed it was like the house was so silent that you could hear that flower blossom hit the table. So Marilla, you know, she's going about her day quietly and she goes to put the laundry away. I don't know what day of the week that makes it. Um, And she sees something and she reaches in and she finds that brooch in the chair cushion.
0: Matthew probably thought the house was on fire when she screamed out the window. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: He had to because it was like, oh, What has she done? I bet she feels horrible. I
0: always do after I lose my temper, like sick, kind of. And even if I was right, but Marilla is in the
1: wrong, wrong, wrong. Mm hmm. They decide Matthew has to go and get her. So he gets on that horse and he's going to go beat the train and find Anne. And that's when we see what we saw at the very beginning of this, that cold opening sequence where he's riding through the water on the beach, you know, trying to catch up to that train that's off in the distance. That was what we saw at the very beginning. And so that explains, doesn't
0: it? His anxiety. <laughs> his stress he sees the train when he looks over and knows he's not gonna beat it to the station Mm -hmm. that despair in his face which was completely inexplicable during the cold open you're like what on earth are you so Mm -hmm. afraid of that train for it wasn't afraid it was fear that he is going to lose Anne. Mm -hmm. oh my goodness and so of course he gets there and he's like am i too late am i too late and the station master well your gal got on all right no need to worry she's She's good. She's on the train. And that's not what he wanted to hear. And now what is Matthew going to do? Of course, we won't find out until the next episode,
1: but he's in a place, man. And we see again Anne's face in the train window. And she doesn't have that hope that she had at the beginning of the show. She's just grim. If you
0: look at her face, her eyes are moving, trying to find a way out of her situation.
1: Mm -hmm. Any kind of plan, anything. She's just grasping and she's just... Not seeing it, you know, figuratively. But the last thing that we hear is the episode ending with the train whistle.
0: Ooh, and that is it.
1: Oh, that was a glorious first episode, I thought.
0: Yes. And, you know, it's, it's double long, so they won't always be this long. But, man, that was a good opener. That was a good pilot for this series. It really sucks you in. and um, Wow. So <laughs> I loved it. I did. I loved it. I loved the flashbacks. I loved the grittiness, I loved the realism, I loved the production value, I loved the costuming was even far superior to any that's ever been before.
1: Mm -hmm. I agree with you uh, 1000%. And I do wish that people could have been privy to our conversation when we both first saw it it was like, we had exactly the same reactions. Like, oh my gosh, this is so special.
0: Nobody is trying to take away from you the 1985 one. I really think there's room for
1: both. (laughs) I completely agree, because if you love the story, don't you want to keep exploring it? I mean, how many women do we cover that somebody knows about, but you still want to hear it again with a fresh take?
0: Now, the biggest difference from the book in this episode, we might as well do this every episode.
1: Okay. Yeah, the
0: biggest difference from the book is the whole sending back thing, I think, which really was not in there at all.
1: And the introduction of Jerry.
0: Yeah, and then you could make an argument for all the flashbacks, which... I bet a lot of people are going to object to. I like them. I do. Mm. You know, what was reality for an eight-year-old sent to be a servant in a house with eight kids? Even the nice ladies looked down on orphans. What would they hope for their own children in that situation? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, like, I can't they either. understand this is someone's child. Like, you know, obviously they don't. I like how they explored that. And I like how the... The dirt is presented with the lovely things. And I'm sure that comes from the Breaking Bad
1: Association, kind of. Uh Uh-huh. I did totally appreciate all the detailed nods to the original story. You know, there were so many of them throughout. I'm sure there was ones that I missed, you missed. And, you know, those people who've read the books, they don't need to read the books again, but they still keep reading them are going to find. So, yeah, I love that part.
0: Um, Let's see. My favorite line. I don't know if you have one, but maybe uh, every subsequent episode we should have a favorite line. My favorite line is Anne's line to Mrs. Lind. I look forward to never minding what you say again.
1: Oh, shoot. That would have been mine, too.
0: We can both have the same one. Okay. If your friend orders macaroni and cheese, you also are entitled to order macaroni and cheese.
1: Macaroni and cheese. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that was my favorite, too, I think. If I have to pick.
0: So now it's time to rate the episode and we should use, as I am currently drinking, not current wine, haha vocabulary, but raspberry cordial that I made that has vodka in it, but it's a very small glass. So 10 out of 10 raspberry cordials would be the perfect score. So how many glasses of raspberry cordial would you give this episode
1: on a scale of 10? Oh, nine and a half. I I just felt like... Such joy and sadness. I felt so much, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, watching it. That when you can feel the emotions of what's on the screen, I think that's that's the whole point. I mean, it's the whole point of reading. It's the whole point of watching things like this. So I'm going to, except for that, the only flaws was that tree that couldn't hold her if she tried to sleep in it, and a teeny tiny bit of overacting. I'm going to give it 9.5.
0: Well, okay, so I have written down here 7.5, but I think I'm going to move it up to an 8.5.
1: Why did you take points off?
0: I don't know. I guess maybe it's less that I'm taking points off is that I'm leaving room for exceptionalism.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Perhaps on my scale, 8.5 is delighted. Would recommend. Oh, maybe this is a point removal. I was a little taken aback by not the change necessarily in like sending her away because you know I understand, especially having seen the next episode, why you want to have a little field trip, etc. You got to get her out of town or whatever. But um, I didn't like the way that Marilla was portrayed. The freaking out there. I was, I was taken aback by that, and I didn't, I didn't see it coming based on how her character had been built, and I, I felt a little uh, betrayed. <laughs> <laughs> by Marilla. Uh, not by the script not by the difference from the book but the character i think okay. and not even the portrayal of the character it's the writing it's the i don't know so anyway yeah i was a little bit
1: uh shocked in not a good way so that's fine. Oh. okay all right well i will tell you that i am developing the Anne with an e drinking game and it is nearing completion i just need to put some extra rules on here and i will have that ready for the next episode
0: Nice. I'm going to make my
1: own raspberry cordial with vodka next time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You drink it every time. I mean, I'm certainly not going to go through it.
1: So um, in anticipation of this, I got the Anne of Green Gables cookbook, which was written by Kate McDonald, who is actually a relation to Maude Montgomery and kind of a kid's cookbook, but they have recipes and quotes from the story tie into the recipe. So it, some of them are a little bit of a stretch, but you can't have a whole cookbook full of raspberry cordial. But there's like chocolate caramels recipe, which ties into that. Is so there I think- a recipe
0: for lettuce salad, which I always that, thought was hilarious?
1: Yes, actually there is. Um, I, I'm flipping through here. Yes. Uh, The quote is, oh, Anne, may I help you cook the dinner, implored Diana? You know I can make a splendid lettuce salad, which was from Anne of Avonlea. And there's a recipe for splendid lettuce salad and Thousand Island dressing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I think I'm going to make something from this for every episode, and uh, that's what I'm going to do. Drinking and eating. That's my major contributions, Beckett. (laughs) Nice. Well, here we will leave you until the
0: next episode. I hope you have enjoyed. They will stay in the same feed as the History Chicks, and if you have just joined us for the Anne with an E recap, please go back and listen, especially, to our coverage of L.M. Montgomery, the author that wrote Anne. And stay a while. Find some of your other favorites and uh, join the family. Welcome. See you next time. Bye. You are-